I want to make a movie that looks like a movie that you wouldn't know wasn't a movie but was performed live. And when you sat in the theater and saw it, you were not seeing canned art, you were seeing a living performance. Well, I think the goal of work is to, is to try to help illuminate contemporary life. So other people who are living and facing the same complex emotional and familial and change of can have some some clearer vision and, 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 and you do that by being the test case. You go through it yourself with your heart in all those institutions that are changing marriage, religion, education, journalism and try to shine light so that other people can better go on their adventure. Do it again. Take one. All right, uh, everyone, welcome to the Space and Time podcast. This is the third episode, and this episode is very light and airy, and it's called uh, What Our Families Taught Us About Death, Volume 1. I have a good friend of mine here who is off camera um, by choice, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be asking me questions. You ready to get into it? Uh, let's get into it. Okay, so why tell the story and why now? Well, the story that I wanted to tell in particular is about my uncle that I lost when he was 22. This is some years ago. And I feel like everyone at one point or another has to go through the defining thing you, we we know like the hero's journey right and i feel like there's always something that we have to go through to ultimately become the person that we're meant to become in, in a way and the challenge for me has been his passing in terms of like how i view the world how how i'm still processing all of that today's his birthday and initially i wanted to do this as a group format but at the same time, I, I knew that I wanted to take up a lot of the time speaking about him. So I didn't want to set it up in a group format and then hog the conversation in a way, take away from someone else talking about their defining moment in their life. I just figured I, I'd do a, a solo one to talk about it because I wanted to do a documentary on this. At one point, if it weren't going to happen, um, this is my way of maybe getting the ball in motion. I went back and took a, a film class at the school that I graduated from and which I missed the financial aid deadline and school is really expensive so uh, America has to get it together. Like they need to make tuition free because uh, yeah it was just way too expensive. That is the main reason actually that I, I took that film course uh, when I thought I wanted to like, you know, uh, pursue that even more um, just because I, I still fantasize about making this documentary because of how much it's affected my family in so many ways. Yeah, I think this is an important episode because death is such a personal thing and yeah. the way that we deal with and unpack it on our own and then the impact that it has on our family. Um, everyone has their own way of processing and mm -hmm. not everyone has the language or the ability um, to take on something so tragic and so I really look forward to having this conversation with you yeah I appreciate you for inviting me to yeah. take part in this discussion thank you for doing it 
<laughs> I want to say happy birthday. Are you comfortable with saying his name? Uh, you know, dude. There were so many years where I couldn't say his name. I was at, um, today's Saturday, right? Yeah, I picked up my mom from work yesterday and uh, we went to have lunch and I was talking to her about me going to do this because they were really good friends. She was telling me about the day he graduated and how he was like, you know, I'm gonna wait for you. She got out of work and went to buy flowers for him, friends since Cape Verde. And her, her memory was more formed because she was more of an adult. Mm -hmm. So she has stronger recollections of him than I do. There are things that are very vivid and strong for me, but at the same time, they're not hers. So what was your age difference? It was a six-year age difference. Okay. I lived with him for 10, 11, 12, 13. I lived with him through those years. Myself, him, his sister, my aunt, and their mom, my grandmother, and they had just came from Cape Verde not that long ago, so they were still in high school. Just very fond memories of those times, even though I was going through a lot. You know, I was, I was, I was misplaced. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't have a home. Mm -hmm. at 10. So he was very much like a father figure in my life during very formative years. Puberty and all of these things, you're, you're starting to become aware of the world in a, in a very, very specific way. And you're adjusting to a new world. Yeah, a very, very different new world. I went a long time after he passed not being able to say his name. And that's what I was telling my mom yesterday when I was telling her that I was going to do this because I said, you know, I don't think I've ever said his name in front of my grandmother, you know, his mom. I don't think not one time. Mm -hmm. I think he, she brought him up one time, like alluded to him, but it wasn't in a specific manner. I just think that's sad. Mm -hmm. I think that's really sad. One of the things that really changed my perspective on all of this that got me thinking about this was the first time I saw Coco. The, the animated movie mm -hmm. and you know in there they have like the uh, I, I think it's like the three stages of death yeah. I have it here like you know um, the final death occurs to be a dead spirit in the land of the dead if nobody in the land of the living remembers them they will become weaker as the last living person who remembers them begins to forget them and will eventually fade away into oblivion as they are forgotten the first death is the physical one the death of the body, the second death is more of a natural one. The moment the body is laid to rest in the earth and returned into nature's cycle. And the third death is that um, breached in the film and is, you know, is the most definitive. The moment that the last memory of you fades. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I saw that and I'm like, man, I, I'm seeing like during that day what they do during that day specifically, like, you know, making sure that they're remembered, like the pictures are out and everything like the that. Altars. In my family, well, my mom in particular, no, I think all her siblings, they have an altar which has pictures of, mm -hmm. the, you know, the deceased. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom brings flowers to the altar and has a light on 24-7. Yeah. It's like little votive light. Yeah. Um, so in some cultures, they do, like, you know, because in Mexican culture, they do have a Dia de los Muertos, yep. yeah, where you have a big festival and you bring food and offerings mm -hmm. to your ancestors. But yeah, you know, different cultures do different things and yeah. way to um, pay homage to their ancestors so that they're not forgotten. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tap onto that. I have another friend who 
um, one of their family members passed away and they talked to me about like their tradition and how um, they have to wear black for so long. Yeah, Cape Verdean, um, you know, culture, same thing. It's just, um, estar en luto. Same thing. Ours, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Estar en luto. And you know what's a funny thing? My grandmother, uh, she was the last sibling to die of 10. Mm. And there was a period of time that she would, as soon as the luto was over, another sibling would die. So she, like, for many Crazy. years, wore Crazy. black, white, wear purple, like a dark purple or navy yeah. blue, but dark color. You mentioned that um, you don't say his name around your grandmother. Is that out of respect for her mourning process or like You know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was hopefully, I do hope my aunts and my uncles see this, my parents. I'm always the person who, I was telling my mom, I'm like, man, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm in trouble a lot because I'm always the person where I feel like I'm saying the things that are so simple and mm -hmm. so truthful, but I get in trouble a lot mm -hmm. because no one else is saying them. And I'm like, this, this like you're is... saying what everyone knows. Yeah. Everybody's saying. Yeah. I say that all the time. Why? You know, if you're the first person that is taking that leap of faith, a lot of times you should have people that say, man, thank you. But more often than not, when you choose to how I feel like, I feel like I'm a truth teller. Tell the truth, what I see, what I see with this, this, you know, mm -hmm. here, here, and the soul that we can't, you know, grab. You know, it's like BC and AD, right? There's, in my family, there's before my uncle passed away and there's after my uncle passed away. Mm -hmm everything changed mm -hmm. it's like the hurt was so vast mm -hmm. no one knew what to do with it mm -hmm. and everyone just kind of like you know scurried into their own corners and just kind of didn't know processing it on their own where it's like we can process it together this is somebody that i lived with from 10 to 13 in a two bedroom in two bedroom apartments mm. we shared the same bed and that was even something that i was i was talking to you about mm -hmm. where i'm like you know if you look in african culture if you look in asian cultures if you look in latin cultures and even european cultures i'll say that where you'll have men who will do certain things that in america is is we have such, there's a homophobia placed on everything. Even me thinking about all of this, I was like, man, we share the same bed. So like, it, there's nothing weird about that. Mm -hmm. If you go to Cape Verde, there's nothing weird about that. Yeah. In Dominican Republic. My father, actually there's a joke, because my father has five brothers and they grew up in a really poor poor village all five of them slept together and they're all tall except for one and my dad's joke is like because my dad used to pee the bed and he yeah. get wet so he got poisoned by the urine that's why he's short yeah <laughs> thinking about that we couldn't you know mm -hmm. the two bedroom apartments all my grandmother could afford right it's like we shared we shared the same bed and and, and me thinking about that it's just like man we got to just 
get rid of certain ideologies and, and like, you know, stigmas that we have is just like not right. I completely agree with you on the stigma. Um, I'll also say I feel like that's a norm for a lot of black American culture as well. Like even when I think back to George Floyd's funeral and when his brother spoke and he spoke about how close they were and how close they were with their cousins and what times they shared beds. Yeah. Like sometimes it's just based on resources and you make do with what you have. I don't think it's until people become older um, that that stigma really comes into play. Yeah. And maybe it does come into play a little early, but I'll say a lot of people have that experience. And it's one that I think is, should be an experience of joy and closeness um, because growing up, and like you said, during those formative years, the people that you spend time with, they become your circle. They become your people. Those are some of your most memorable moments. Absolutely. It's so funny, before this, me and Claude were talking and she said, I love this topic. And, and I was like, me too. But it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like not by choice because mm -hmm. I'm like, I've, I've had a preoccupation with death since I was about nine, 10 years old. My, you know, when my grandfather passed away, my, my grandfather got killed. My uncle's name was Yunildu and his father was Ildu. His name came from his, from his father's. And my grandfather got killed in Brockton and that was the first time I heard my father crying, mm. you know, not crying, wailing. So that was the first time that I, I was awoken to, at that age, larger than life figure, wailing. And it's like, what is this? And, and then you're still at an age where like you understand, but you don't understand. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just a matter of, wow, like that, that was so impacting because I was awoken to two times. It was when my grandfather, my father's father passed away, and then when my uncle passed away, his brother. And both times, it, it, it just, again, I, and, I, and I said that recently, I said, man, I said, we do things and a lot of times we don't really get to the heart of, hey, let me try to figure out why. And then I was always a night owl and I was like, I'd be up to like three, four, five in the morning. Like, you know, that was so, so much of my life. Maybe last year or this year I said, huh, I had really traumatic awakenings. My grandfather passed on, passing away and then my uncle passing away. And I'm like, and I never thought maybe that has something to do with your subconscious being like, hey, stay awake for as long as you can. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about that until not that long ago and my cousin passed away too my cousin passed away in portugal um he was my best friend when i was in Cape Verde. you know he had a brain tumor and, and he went to portugal to get treatment and he passed away there and i remember my mom telling me she said it, it seemed like he aged three four years right in front of her eyes before he passed How and was he, when he, passed? he was maybe like 16 yeah. and i was still at an age where Again, I felt sad, but it didn't hit me. There's a very fine line between the age where you're sad and your parents or whomever tell you, hey, this person died or they passed away, they're not gonna come back and they explain it to you in a certain way. And then an age where you can cry about it. I wasn't at an age where I could cry about it, but they tell me that like, he was my best friend when I was in Cape Verde. And you know, I, I, I wish I could 
remember him and things better than I can. Me doing this is in a way taking a chance because I don't know. People, you you do you have reasons why you want to do certain things, but then people hear it and they get mad at you. I don't know. Maybe someone will hear this and get mad at me about it. But honestly, I'm not concerned about that. Like I don't. I'm not doing this for them. Mm -hmm. So and that's how you have to operate. If they don't get it now, they'll get it later. You know. So. And I feel like you're doing it for you, but ultimately, you're doing it for your uncle's memory and you're doing it to open up this dialogue for other people so that maybe they can push the conversation forward with their families. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure there are many families that can relate yeah. to what, you know, how your family reacted to the death of these relatives. Yeah. You know, where it was like, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. You know, um, did you, I, don't, I don't know if this is just a Dominican thing, but do you guys do, uh, it's called a novena, and it's like nine days of prayer after the person has passed. Yeah, I feel, I feel like they do like 30, 45 days. It's like, oh, and, you know, it's, it's a, a whole it's lot like of days. And it's yeah. brings food, yeah. you pray they the stay, rosary. They'll then, stay at the homes for like a month or more. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, and it's a, we, we I mean, love, it's a we yeah. love so hard. It's almost like a satire where like, you know, the aunt falls on the casket at the funeral. Mm -hmm. But that's completely K-Verdian culture. And they'll do this and, and it's like, you, f you see the loss, you know, mm -hmm. like how, what this person meant. Show that at the wake, at the funeral, honor this person, honor their life. What did he say? Like we're born. Definitely, the main thing that we know is that on the other side here is death. And then the dash. What did he say? That's the life. That's what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like I don't know how many days I have. I'm trying to do the best I can with it, with all of them. After he passed, I used to think maybe some people are, and then I would think like I don't even know if he was meant to like be he would have been 44 today i'm like i don't even know if some people were meant to be 40 like i'm like man and i'm trying to picture him at 40 or 50 or you know but obviously like this is our minds playing tricks on us we're like nah like you know he was supposed to like just come here and be a bright like a supernova mm. and 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 then be the charge for somebody else to do something great based on the existence that they had however short-lived it was but be the catalyst for that person to do something great so thinking about all of this and again i'm like who else is thinking about this in my family me the the cousin that i'm closest to her and i talk about this and her and i have the the strongest connection to him mm. from Ver to here he and i shared a room shared a home and I'm like, I don't know where his things are. I don't know where his music stuff is. I don't know where, I don't know where his clothes are. Do they give them away? Are they in somebody's attic or basement? I don't know. I wonder those things. And then it's just like, who can you ask? So if you're comfortable going back to this day, how did you find out about his passing? My mom and my dad wailing again and and then I remember hearing his name and 
you know, they talk about like the steps of like um, grief, right? I feel like I lived all those steps right away. And I, but I remember the one that was most definitive was, was bargaining. And it was almost like me saying, God, like, save for a few people, take anybody else. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and those are things, again, like you don't, you think, but like, you don't say out loud, but it's, that is how I felt. It was just like, save for a few people, take anybody else you want. You know, why him? Mm -hmm. Why him? And my sister was newly born and... I remember just, you know, holding her and, you know, being at lunch with my mom yesterday and her telling me like her and my father went to my grandmother's house and my aunt was still living there. She came to the door and was just like wondering what was happening. And then my grandmother got up and then my mom telling me like, you know, they woke them up and, and my mom is like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you find the how do you find the words for that? Yeah. Especially telling the mother yeah. that their child died. Yeah. You know, so who told you? Like who said the words? I do, I heard them. Yeah. No one told me. I, I just heard the words, you know. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And how old were you? I was sixteen. Do you feel like you had any conversations with anyone in your family or close to you that helped you unpack your own grief? Uh, no, not at all, no. So what is, what did his passing mean to you? Um. Everything. Yeah, his passing meant everything. And I think, I feel like people are born with certain things in them. And I feel like there are things that, however you feel about fate or things being written, already for you but i feel like certain things are are innate and then based on free will and everything else around that there are going to be things that happen within that environment that ethos that cultivates who you're going to become and i feel like i was always destined to be me but i feel like his passing really solidified it it accelerated it since that moment, like everything I do, I look through the lens of life and death. Mm. Almost everything, you, everything I do. Do you feel like his passing gave your life meaning? Yeah, abso absolutely. Absolutely, because again, it gave it meaning in a way where it's just like, but it also made me, death, I think subconsciously, I was like, man, death has been on my mind constantly since, that age because i realized every time you kind of recoil what have you that's when it happens every time you like you settle in a little bit mm -hmm. then it's a tragedy it's a tragedy because you're living life i always just think like this i'm like man i'm like that's why i get freaked out in cars like you know i don't like people doing the whole like reckless driving thing and this and that it's mm -hmm. just like it's not a joke to me like you know like this person I love lost their life in it, you know. So that's, that's all, how he died. He died in a car accident. Yeah, you know. So that's always on my mind, and I used to always think about that, like you know how cruel life can be. And I used to think about that, and like you could be in the car listening to your favorite song, and you know you get taken out like that. 
Yeah. And I think when you lose someone in that type of way, um, where it's a tragedy that comes out of nowhere, it puts things in a different perspective. Yeah. Where you now understand that there's only one second between the life that you knew before and the life that you're going to live going forward. And so when you speak about the impact that his death had, um, losing a person that you love is tragic regardless, mm -hmm. but when it comes without a moment's notice. Yeah. When you didn't know that they already had an illness or they were going yeah. through something, but all you were doing was going about your day, yeah. and then you get that call, yeah. I feel like there's almost no way to fully recover or to go back to who you were before that from that space. One of the ways I, I think about death is this, where people, when you're getting ready to die, like you know, like your soul or what have you knows, but at the same time, it's, it's almost like, they say the eyes are the window to the soul, right? So it's almost like, you know, the person inside of you is like at, at the screen of <laughs> your eyes and they're screaming out like this is about to happen. I'm about to die. And like you're screaming behind your eyes, but at the same time, disconnect that's there where it's like you can't alter with fate in that way. So you can't utter those words. So that's one of the ways that like I, I've like thought about it because then the couple of things that I heard after he passed and it's almost like you look back and you're like it, it like you're leaving trails because you look back and it's like the strangest things and it's like and it's always like that like he never did this but he did this that day this never happens but then this happened and then they say like hindsight is 2020 so it was like stuff like that, like eerie stuff. Like they had a premonition that it was going to happen or something? Yeah, it's just in, in a way, I just feel like the universe, the universe knows it's yeah. things are in it, like you're saying goodbye in a certain way. Maybe they don't even know. But I that's one of the ways that I always thought about it, where like your soul knows, but like your body can't, your body can't utter those words. Right. It, it's interesting because uh, so for me, I experienced death for the first time when I was six years old. And it's like my mom knew what was gonna happen because it was my stepfather who got murdered, him and his two brothers in New York got murdered together. And my mom had gone to a fortune teller, mm -hmm. a Dominican like card reader. Yeah. And she said it, that it was gonna happen. My mom's like, no. And she said that when she said he would travel to New York back and forth. So my mom said that that day when she said like bye to him, she felt something a little different, but she didn't know what it was. And then she got the phone call that he got him and his brothers got murdered. And that's yeah. how it goes. You know, we don't know till after, but again, 2020. What did your uncle teach you? What he taught me um, how to be myself. You know, I feel like a lot of the people who have complimented me in certain ways, that's always like the through line. Where it's just like, you know, I had someone that would tell me, no matter where you go, you're always yourself, you're always yourself. And I always used to be like, isn't everyone? Once I like kind of separated and like really understood things a little bit more, I understood how rare that is. It's really rare. I saw this, there's this, um, there's this Jay-Z reel that I saw yesterday actually when he's talking about 
anytime he steps in the room, how he's always stepping in as himself. He like, there's nothing that's changing. He's not, his pitch and his voice isn't changing. He's not, you know, hunkering down, cowering or what have you. I've like watched it a few times. I really respect people who are themselves through and through. And I feel like I've always had this unshakable sense of who I am. I know that's mainly instilled in me by my parents, but you know, I look at him like he was my parent also. That was one of the things that he taught me. I remember in our room, the posters that were over our bed, they changed, but the two that like I remember, it was Snoop Dogg and it was Michael Bolton. Like, think about that. Like, think about that. At his age, like that, Snoop Dogg and Michael Bolton. And at the same time, like, he was influenced so much by my father. Like, my father's a musician, you know what I mean? So my father listened to everything. And I remember, like, after my father came and mm -hmm. he, like, sent stuff back and, and, and whatnot, like music and stuff like that. But at the same time, for him to have that and then me getting that from my father and him, where it's just like, that's why people talk about all oh, this. I'm like, oh, you can't do that? That's how I grew up. Where it's just like, I can listen to Wu-Tang and I can hear it like the biggest Shaolin fan. And I can listen to like Celine Dion and hear it like the biggest Celine fan. There's no separation. Mm -hmm. I, I listen to both the same way. Art is art. Art is art. But then again, one of those things, you're always yourself. And mm -hmm. it's just like, isn't everybody? So for me, it's just like, wait, everyone, you can't hear this in this music. You can't, you're not hearing what I'm hearing, you know? And like I had a friend that when music, I would play music in the car and she'd be like, you're weird, dude. Like, especially if it was the first time I heard a song, it like music is spiritual. It's a spiritual connection. You know, they call it the universal language, which I feel like food is also like, those are the two like universal languages that we have in this world. So for me, it's like, man, if I hear a certain song for the first time and you can love that song again, but you can never experience it the same way as that first time. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, the, you know, the junkie chasing that first high. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I'm always, I'm always, that's why I, I'm, I'm insatiable about new music because I'm, I'm always chasing that feeling. He, that's what, you know. He exposed you to it. Yeah. yeah, even more, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so, so yeah. So there's certain things, there's certain songs that I hear that like remind me of him, you know? Mm. Um, Queen's One Year of Love, you know, like he used to play that crazy. On the radio today, maybe not even radio, but what artist today do you think he would love? Man. Before he passed, he was super into, my mom was telling me yesterday, like when he, he had like this car and he had like the speaker in the back where like the whole back seat is like, not a back seat, it's just a speaker. Oh. And, and he was super into, I think it was um, mostly influenced by the women that he was dating at the time, but like he was, he was on this crazy bachata phase. <laughs> We're like, like bumping bachata. I mean, like in a way where like you're the whole neighborhood is 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 hearing it. That car that drives by. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, 
So again, just fearless clothing. Again, like I, I know somebody might hear me say like wear his clothes and pe some people look at, at clothes as like trivial things. Mm -hmm. as like fashion i think of that part in the devil wears prada when she's talking about when she holds up the two um belts and and, and then she and hathaway's character laughs and she's like they're the same color and then and then meryl streep's character reads her the riot act and then she's like oh let me tell you about yourself you think you're above fashion fashion is a portal into who we are into our history our present and our future Mm -hmm. So for me, when I think about him, there are certain things that are so, again, vivid. Mm -hmm. The color orange. I never realized why I love the color orange. It's because of him. My favorite number is the number seven. It's because of him. Mm -hmm. He had this like hockey jersey type, um, this like Rastafarian type, like uh, hockey jersey. And it was orange and it had the number seven. And he would take me, he would take me with him to take pictures of him. This is before the gram. This is, you know, so you have a disposable can, you know, you take pictures and whatnot, but like those kind of things. And he had this like certain outfits that I remember, you know, the houndstooth jacket that I, I posted on mm -hmm. my picture of him uh, with me on Instagram. And he had this two-piece Carl Knight cream suit. I was telling you that last week where he was in high school and I remember like when I lived with him he would w he might wear that outfit that two piece three four days out of the week mm -hmm. and and for me again things like that was like normal mm -hmm. and then once you grow up and you realize oh this is how America looks at certain things where it's just like if you wear the same outfit two days in a row it's like oh what's wrong with you what are you, poor, this and that, all these different things, right? Mm -hmm. And he wore the same outfit for like a week, mm -hmm. not caring. And it's just like, man, like that type of gall, the audacity to be you, to, it's like this, to do what you want to do. This was fly yesterday. It's going to yeah, fly today. Yeah, it's going to be fly today. Fly <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> And that's what, again, all these people that like, and, and I guess I understand the, the people that I'm like most connected to now that I'm attracted to, mm -hmm. where it's just like for him to do that, it's just like, what you gonna say about me? I'm still gonna get your girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, man, like, yeah, that's what he taught me. It's just like, man, like. Be yourself. Be yourself. Always. Always. Mm -hmm. Be yourself always and always. So I don't know if you can, name anyone um but if you had to who reminds you of him it's the whole thing where you don't remember what someone did or what have you but they re you remember how they made you feel mm -hmm. and the most important thing and i think that's why it was so impacting mm -hmm. was how he affected everyone mm -hmm. and that's why the the hurt was so great mm -hmm. And I feel like me being with him during those formative years, there's times where I smile. There's times where I greet my mother a certain way and I feel like him. My father and I didn't have like a 
verbal vocal relationship growing up like that like he's, he's an african dad like you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like i said in, in in the first two you know episodes it's better now but it is what it is but at the same time having him around being able to just observe and that's why it's so important for a man or woman to have their mother and father at certain points of them growing up because it's not even about being spoken to it's just about observing and learning how to become a man or woman and and i got that from him and my father so that's why i had the traits in me that it's not even necessarily like you're making a concerted effort to have mm-hmm. you have you pick it up whether you want to or not mm-hmm. and then there are other things that again the innate things and i do feel like the person that reminds me most of him is me you know, but again, it's one of those things where it's like you you think, but you're not supposed to say out loud in terms of being affable and amiable and having that impact on people. I know I have that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but again, things you're not supposed to say, but I, I know I do. Mm-hmm. So and he had that, you know, and, and it's again, the spirit of a person. And, and I, you know, that spirit, I feel like is in me. Yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. What's your favorite memory of him? Oh, man. <clears throat> um, so many, but again, there's a few that like stand out. And some of them are very like unformed. Um, there's one where he was dating this girl that I thought was like so cute. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'll lie, I definitely had a crush on her. But... <laughs> And she was over the house. She came over the house. I don't know if they were fighting or what have you, but you know. Like you trying to scoop her up? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I ain't trying to. I ain't trying to scoop her up. Nah, not at all. Like you know, she came to the house and then they were fighting and then you know, I'm like, wait, they fighting, but now he was taking a shower, but she's in there. She's like, I thought they were fighting. You know, you you're young. You you think like that? You know. So I remember that. I remember joking around with him like you know him like messing with me um and like farting like you know and holding me and like farting like you know on me or like you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. that and i remember um there's a picture of me at a school dance in junior high and he had that car with the you know with the speaker in the back seat and he he and i remember him dropping me off to that dance Mm -hmm. and that was something i like i forgot and then again, like clues that people leave before they depart, you know, the big departure. Um, I remember when he had gotten, he had this apartment and he like picked me up. And I remember, you know, when you look up to a certain people in a certain way, where it's just like, you don't want to disrupt the atmosphere in a certain way for fear of this thing being over. And I remember like we went over to his apartment and we were watching, um, I remember the movie we watched, we watched Money Talks, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, Chris Tucker. And we were watching that. And I remember like almost like being on the bed and I remember like almost how still I was because for fear of- Disrupting the moment. Disrupting the moment. And my mom told me, she was like, you know, and, and I'm a lot like, I'm just like that too, where it's like, you can be so like gregarious and like, here and I can I know how much I can affect people's moods like if my mood is off like I I know how much I can do that Mm -hmm. but at the same time how angry he could be like just like that Mm -hmm. 
and I'm the same way. And I don't want him to be angry. Yeah, but I remember that, you know, and I remember one of the last conversations he and I had, like I had gotten in some trouble. I had gotten arrested, like 15 was a really hard year. And it was like, you know, before he passed and, or whatever, but 15 was so crazy for me. And I remember him, I remember I was like peeling potatoes for him to make French fries. He basically said to me, he was like, I heard what happened, like, what's up? Like, you know? And I remember how embarrassed I was. I, had, I didn't have the words to tell him what happened or it's just like being stupid youth stuff. But he was just basically like, you're better than this. Like, what are you doing? You know? And that was one of like the last concrete conversations that I remember us having. And mm. so, yeah. So I feel like we're coming to the end of this discussion and you've unpacked a lot. Um, and earlier you expressed some reservation that you feel like certain family members will have mm -hmm. around this discussion. Yeah. So how do you feel other people who knew him will receive this conversation? What will they have to say? Um, I know everybody processes things in their own time. I know I, I, I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I told you recently, like my latency period and, and everything, especially processing emotional things is crazy. And I think a lot of it has to do with that you know, observation and things that like are passed down to us. Non-verbally, we're taught that, hey, you, you don't deal with it right now, if ever at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like I wanted to touch on that, but I'm like not too concerned about how they'll feel, how I hope they'll feel. And what I hope they'll do is that this can hopefully one day again snowball into a real conversation that needs to be had because my thing is black people right <laughs> we love jokes mm -hmm. you can't be in a black fit you gotta have thick skin really <laughs> early and my whole thing is there's plenty of times for you you can't not have jokes there's always time for jokes black people especially in this country we go through so much but at the same time, we don't deal with it in a way in which we're supposed to, in a way in which it's healing, in a way in which and now it's like we're able to connect to each other in a certain way. And you and I know, you and I know, this is, this is what we do. Even when we're doing other stuff, this is what we do. You know, we're unpacking, we're healing, mm -hmm. we're learning, growing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think the issues that I've had with certain people is just like, man, it's just like, you know, and you can't approach everybody with everything because if they're not there, you're going to look like a fool because it's just like, what? What are you talking about? Like, you know, and for me, it's just like, there's always time, good times to be had. You're in a black, black family. Again, you're always going to have good times. But again, let's talk about all the bullshit that's happening in our families that have happened that we haven't discussed in a real way and that's why i've had to distance myself from certain people because if you know certain people aren't there it's just you know you have to let them come to on their own yeah and i truly believe that the healing process looks different for different people absolutely um and i think that 
being able to unpack trauma should be the norm but in a lot of cases it's a luxury and i think it's a luxury that our gen our generation is afforded based on sacrifices of mm -hmm. previous generations yes um so when i think about what healing might look like for so if we take the same death for me personally the death of my grandfather yeah what healing looks like for my grandmother what healing looks like for my mother is going to look different from what healing looks like for me and i feel like i personally am survived by the prayers of my grandmother yeah of my mother of their generation um and so they might not be as vocal about their healing process yeah but they're very deliberate and so i think the healing process of our generation is going to look and be different when we can come together as a family to discuss it all because i want to understand how to heal the way that they do because one thing that i think about all the time is how i have like these prayer warriors in my corner um that have impacted my life in such great ways and as i get older how do i make sure that that craft doesn't die and then how do i bring the craft of oh i've been doing work I've gone to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Like I've been unpacking things. How do I marry the two? Because I think that's what we do as generations. I think that's what we do as we grow. We understand more and we do more. Breaking cycles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Understanding tradition and then learning how to push things forward. Mm -hmm. How do you look back but move forward? I guess, you know. Sankofa. That was. Have you heard of that term? Yeah. I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a term um, I, I heard it the first time when I read the book Born to Use Mics. Um, Michael R. Dyson and, and um, some other people had a hand in it, and it was um, them writing about Nas's first album, Illmatic. That book was so impacting for me, and I learned this term through that book. It was, it was a Grio, like G R I O T, mm -hmm. and basically a Grio is like a West African. Back in the day, it was like a, the person in the village that was in charge of keeping the mythologies, the folklores, the uh, fables, the legends, the 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 music, uh, the songs, the stories, the like, you know like what I mean? The oral tradition. The oral tradition of their people, mm -hmm. keeping that alive and passing it on from generation to generation. And I remember since the first time I heard that word, I was like, oh, man, that's me. And um, and I thought about that yesterday or the day before. And I was like, you know, I, I kept thinking about that. And it was just like, man, that, like, that's that's what I'm trying to do. Because the in inimitable uh, Michaela Cole, when she was talking about writing her stories, why she felt compelled in a way to write them mm -hmm. and to talk about those things, she said, if you don't write it, it can be erased, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like in a way that's that's what, you know, speaking about the Coco thing, like that's what I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that things can be forgotten, you know, and like I said, me me thinking about life through life, the life and death prism for so long. Mm -hmm. And I remember like the first time I heard this, this Steve Jobs quote years ago, and it's always resonated with me. He said, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. 
it made an impression on me and since then for the past 33 years i have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself if today were the last day of my life would i want to do what i am about to do today and whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row i know i need to change something but this next part is is the part that like i always kind of go back to one of my like north stars in a way and he said remembering that i'll be dead soon is the most important tool i'll ever encounter to help me make the big choices in life because almost everything all external expectations all pride all fear of embarrassment or failure these things just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important remembering that you are going to die is the best way i know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose you are already naked there is no reason not to follow your heart you know so i feel like all these things that i come across is just they're not mutually exclusive mm -hmm. they're they're one and the same mm -hmm. they just add to one another the question how are you keeping the memory of your uncle alive so i just have to say mm -hmm. i love being in spaces um with certain people you guys especially mm -hmm. but i have a very close circle of friends mm -hmm. and when the vibe is right the vibe is right mm -hmm. because that was my final thing to yeah, ask. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she didn't. Honestly, you, <laughs> like, like Claude has no idea. Like that, honestly. Yeah. And we've gone on this journey. We've had this full discussion. Mm -hmm. And now here we are. Yeah. And so Claude, <laughs> bring it home for us. Yeah. <laughs> How am I keeping his memory alive? Yeah, Claude? this kind of like goes back to the beginning of yeah. the whole purpose. Mm -hmm. of you having these discussions and yeah. how you know seeing the coco movie gave you that revelation like oh yeah. my god how it's, do we keep our ancestors alive our ancestors aren't so distant from us mm -hmm. you know if you look at the movie like black panther right when that whole scene about him going to the land of the ancestors where he's able to connect to those people mm -hmm. and find wisdom in that moment that he needs it from the people who, you know, were there, here, and the next. And I feel like if I want to do anything is that's one of the things I want to do for my family first. And that's where it starts, right? You make, you make sure that your side of the street is clean. And it's just, let's keep the person's memories, spirit, all of that alive. You know, let's, that's how you honor somebody. It's not by sweeping it under the rug and making believe and never happen because it hurts too much to talk about it if you if you cry cry like you know and talk about the good times and and all of it in between you say their name you say their name mm -hmm. you know and i say his name now but it's like it still doesn't feel super like because of all the years i felt like i couldn't mm -hmm. you know so that's how i want to honor him and that's how i keep his memory alive it's just like I remember there was, an, there was a point where, you know, Nas is my favorite lyricist, you know. And I remember there was one point where this CD used to belong to him. Mm. And, and even how a mischievous mind works at that age. 
like your early teen years. I remember I wanted this CD and I was like me like conjuring up like all these like things beforehand and I'm like oh maybe I'll, I can offer him these CDs and this and that and this and that and all this stuff and I remember going to him and I remember he was in, in the, his living room he was dancing with the girl he was dating at the time mm -hmm. and I remember saying to him I was like um I want this CD but I, I was I was like I can give you this this is that and the third or whatever and he was like all right cool yeah he was like just take it and I remember years later like not that long ago I realized like he would have given it to me however mm -hmm. even if I just said I'm giving you nothing can I have this but in our own minds at you know again being mischievous and whatnot we think we have to circumvent the system mm -hmm. we have to trick somebody you know and then I look at the CD now you're going through that for the people who can't see mm-hmm can you tell us what CD? Yeah, it's, it's Nas's 1996, it was written CD. And it has like all these scratches and then wear and tear on, on the cover and on the back. And I look at this and that was one of the things that I thought about most all these years is how someone can be here. You know, I, I wrote this thing one time, it was like evidence of a life lived. Mm. You know, so someone could be here and his life in a way has been like almost it's almost like did that happen mm -hmm. i have recollections of my childhood in cape verde but it's almost it's fragments it's like is is that a figment or is that reality and it's it's so thin we're like i don't know but then to look at this and even though i have this like tangible thing that i can hold and i can say wow, this came from him, but you still doubt. Yep. Like, did that happen? Like, I look at this and how many times I've said, you know, is, is his fingerprint on here and all of these things. And it's just like, and even like this Mace poster, I reframed it. But when I, I moved out of their home um, and I moved in with my father and came to see me and he brought me this. A lot of times people see things. So it's a reminder for me to like, you don't know. So like somebody might see me with a mace poster and just think like whatever, you know what I mean? But it's just like, man, like you don't, you have no idea what this means to me. It means everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it means somebody was here. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's a tangible memory of someone's existence. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being willing to unpack all of this. Mm -hmm. um, to open up the dialogue. I know that you mentioned that you want to have this be like a multiple part. Mm -hmm. That's going to be important because I feel like there are so many other people who have their own yeah. stories. There should be a new norm and the new norm should be we should know about the life and times of these people. And then we shouldn't have an agenda in terms of how we're going to honor them moving forward. How to archive it. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like that's kind of... What's the term that you said? The griot or griot? Griot, that, yeah. That's kind of like your, um, like what you're doing for your family. Like you're the one that you're recording these stories, keeping yeah. the oral traditions alive. Yeah. You know, and like you're creating something tangible that can, you know, yeah. go and on. One thing that I will say is I feel like sometimes there's unspoken dialogue where people aren't willing to step beyond the unknown mm -hmm. and i think that 
what you're doing in this moment mm -hmm. is taking a step into that space. Mm -hmm. And what we can find sometimes is that people want to step into that space with us and they're just waiting for someone to make that move. Mm -hmm. um, I know that for myself personally, I can have conversations with my family mm -hmm. about my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard for each of us for our own reasons, mm -hmm. but we're capable of going there. Yeah. And when one person brings us there, we all kind of flood in and then it becomes a moment of celebration yeah. and of expression. And so I think that it takes one person to show courage mm -hmm. and be willing to step into that moment. Yeah. And that's what you have done. Um, mm -hmm. So I hope that through this, because part of what we've talked about is how will other people who knew him mm -hmm. perceive this? How will they receive it on their own? Like, mm -hmm. are they able to go there? Do they want to go there? But even if one person does, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if the one person is you, because I've learned more today in our, what, 15 year friendship than I've known about this experience. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you being willing to go there and being willing to take us with you on this journey. But I also think that there is space for other people within your family to come along on the journey as well. Yeah. Thank you. And that is a wrap. And that's a wrap! It's okay, let it out, bro. Right here for you. Thanks guys. Mm -hmm. Girls. Why do I have to sing the bass? <laughs>